And I find that when you just ask a simple question that you're thinking inside that applies to everyone and you say it out loud, you discover that there is this reservoir of willingness to engage. Welcome, everyone, to Culture by Design. On this episode, I am so privileged and honored to welcome Kenny Luck. Let me introduce Kenny to all of you. Kenny Luck is lead pastor of ministries at Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California. He's the founder of Everyman Ministries, an ECPA Platinum Award-winning author of 24 books. Kenny, how do you do that? 24 books. I don't know, but on this Zoom link, my hair is a lot more silver. It is, isn't it? These days. Covering marriage, family, and men's issues. His most recent books for men include Dangerous, Good, and Fail Safe. And you're going to talk about the last one of that trilogy here in a minute. Yeah, we'll give you a chance to talk about that. In 2022, he will be touring with Jesus Culture and Hillsong United for the Dangerous Good City Transformation Tour in partnership with A21 and Capitol Records to reach and activate men in their local cities, raise awareness and reduce demand in the fight against sexual slavery. Kenny has been married to his wife, Chrissy, for 33 years in a row, in a row. They've raised three three wonderful millennials, Kara, Ryan, and Jenna, and live in Southern California. Now, Kenny, welcome to the podcast. This is so awesome. We have another little connection, don't we? We do. Just a little one. We were the rapscallions (laughs) of West San Jose. Yes, we were. So as we like to say in the spirit of full disclosure, Kenny and I were childhood friends in Cupertino, California, and we hung out together a lot. You know what? I was thinking about those memories, Kenny, and I thought of, you know, it's funny the things you think of. I thought of kumquats. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I thought of kumquats. You had a big kumquat tree. We had three. Did you have three? Yeah. Kumquats. Yeah, yeah. kumquats. These visual memories. I thought of alligator lizards. Yes. Right. Things like that. Yeah. Calabasas Creek. So give us a little journey line. Yeah. I left, my family left when I was 12. So I didn't get to spend the remaining teenage years with Kenny, but Kenny, just take us through what happened next. Yeah. Well, when you moved away and I came out of my season of mourning, (laughs) childhood boy mourning, big piece of the puzzle was gone. Yeah. Yeah. I think like a lot of us, you matriculate through junior high and high school trying to figure out who you are. Yeah. You get connected into sports communities and social communities and education. And that was me. I have a very unfancy path going forward. I went to Limbrook High School and graduated, went to UCLA. After that, met my wife, Chrissy, at UCLA. After that, I graduated and became a missionary for a few years, traveling the world, smuggling Bibles into Russia at the time. It was a very exciting kind of 21 to 23-year-old life of just doing something wild and crazy, and then left the ministry to help in a healthcare venture startup, Mm. got a couple of million in venture funding. So hang on a second. Let's go back. You came out of UCLA and you went right into missionary work? Ministry. So- Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Was there a day 
or a time or an event where the light went on and you said, I'm going to do that? Yeah, I had a really profound spiritual experience when I was 17 after graduating high school that really it's one of those trajectory changers where you just realize that you're created by God for God and one day you'll go to God and in between now and then he's got a purpose for you. So I always reflect on it as my burning bush. And so when I went to UCLA, I was in this mode of, wow, I really have to fulfill my purpose while I'm on earth. God made me, he made me for a purpose. And like Eric Little says in Chariots of Fire, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Yeah. And so I was really in a mode of seeking. And so when I graduated from college, I was still in that very much that mode of purpose, fulfilling the intention for which I was created. And so my context was one of faith Mm -hmm. and Christianity. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to love God and love my neighbor as myself and find in my context, what is the best expression for me to do that? How can I love people in the best way, help them the best way? And so that's when I decided to join the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ. and, And I started working on college campuses with students. And then three years into it, just really felt like God was calling me into the marketplace. And that first season, that first season of life was over. And I came back to California from Texas and then got involved with a healthcare startup. I was kind of like a junior manager recruited by some principals who had raised the first round of capital. And I really liked them and I got into behavioral health. And so for the next decade, I was in healthcare in the behavioral health zone counseling, psychiatry, rehabilitation, treatment, depression, anxiety, addiction, living and working in that world, both as a participant, part of a clinical team, but then also as an operations person, which I was kind of a unique bird in that way. Mm. So I started off in marketing, but because of my seminary training and background, I blended into the hospital environment very well as a chaplain and as a social worker, mental health worker. And really, that season of 10 years of working both on the business side and the client side in that continuum really changed my life in a profound way. It changed it professionally because I started off as the assistant to the vice president of marketing, Tim, but then smart leaders in our company said, you know, we got to move him around. So I worked for the business development guy, the COO, the CFO. Tour of duty. Yeah. And where they were round, exactly. They were rounding me out. And nine years into it, I became the CEO. You know, I have 500 employees and 48 locations. And it was just, I don't know that I was the best candidate. All I knew was, is that I really knew the business and believed in the outcomes of solid behavioral health. And so after that, after 10 years of doing that, I actually was in the best position I felt like I could be in structurally in my life. I was running a company. I was raising a family. I was living in Southern California. And then wouldn't you know, right at that time, I have another one of those burning bush experiences experiences where it's like, there's more than this. And what I saw in behavioral health was the capacity of people, if they think about life and themselves in perhaps a new way, it can be so transforming. And so I decided, okay, I've seen this. Where's the best place we can do that? And when I looked out on the landscape of culture, the world, justice, injustice, I thought, you know what? I'm going to focus on guys because they're at the center of a lot of the injustices that we see. 
And if we can affect transformation in the heart, character, and conduct of men, the people connected to them, wives, children, women, prostitutes, people suffering domestic violence, orphans, that will have a huge impact. So that's when I fired myself from my CEO (laughs) position. Well, let's think about how unusual that is. So here you are, you're an incumbent CEO, you're running a healthcare business, and you say, adios. Yep. I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. That's not a natural act for most people. That's just not something people do. Yeah. The incentive structure around you is rewarding you. Yes. The status quo is rewarding you. Yes. With all kinds of things and Mm -hmm. you opt out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just so we get that. And I hope all the listeners are getting that. Mm -hmm. That is an unnatural act for most people. And so you go back. Right. Ministry. Yeah. Yeah, I started, I took my severance. The chairman of our group was so generous. He said, hey, you've been here 10 years. I'll give you 10 months severance. I took the severance and started every man with a mission to work with men, reach men, help them in their character, their conduct, family, relationships, marriage. And just, you know, I wrote the business plan on a napkin. So many great things happen on a napkin. They do. And I just have to say that every T has been crossed and every I dotted, literally, I can't say that what was on that original business plan has not come through. And that's where I really feel like there's such a higher calling and purpose in, but I had to take the risk, right? Yeah. There's still risk. Still risk. Yeah. No matter, still no matter where road, you are. It wasn't easy. And we're 20 years into are it. Are we 20 now? I'm 20. Tw- every 20, man is 20 years old. 20 years old. It's incredible what you've done. And it's incredible the amount of good that you've done. So let's talk about our context, right? We're two years into this pandemic. Yeah. It's worn people out. Mm-hmm. They're exhausted. They're fatigued. They're mm-hmm. empty. They're drained. And let's talk about some of the conventional wisdom that we've heard in the business world. <laughs> For example, <laughs> I remember this from my early years as a manager, where I had some older mentors and they said, Make sure, Tim, that you maintain professional distance with your people, your direct reports. And I was running a team at the time. And yeah, this is not an unusual principle. That's something that's been passed down probably since the Industrial Revolution. Yes. But two years into this pandemic, well, I think we've got to take a look at that and ask ourselves, does that make sense? Yeah. What do you think about that, that advice, Kenny? Yeah. I got a fancy word for that. Mm-hmm. Baloney. Baloney. Yeah, that's a bunch of baloney because people want to bring their whole selves to their job. Yeah. They don't want to bring parts of themselves. No one likes to live compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. Human beings are created and engineered to be known. Hang on a second. That's a repeatable phrase. Can you say that again? Yeah. Human beings are created and engineered to be known. And so if we're forced to hide parts of ourselves, you're not getting the full capacity and potential of a person. And I think that approach comes from a learned and enculturated insecurity in management. It goes to whether or not I'm going to be in relationship with this person for a long time. So if you're not going to be in relationship with the person for a long time or a direct report, or they're going to move on or they're going to leave the company, or maybe they're going to leave your department, maybe they quit. I don't want to get too close to you. And you have to manage them to the number, to the pro forma, to the job description, which you need to do that. I'm not saying that you need to do that, but you know what? I found very successful managers and leaders 
of companies, organizations, it doesn't matter what kind. They ask the second question. They get to know their employees and find out what their passions are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times now in really cool companies, there's an intersection between the passions of employees and their employer. I'll give you an example. My wife works for Nordstrom. She's a platinum pay setter. She's one of their highest selling people. And we have a passion for helping young men who have been abandoned in Kenya to the streets. And we partnered, my wife and I have partnered with an organization called Malele. And Malele takes street boys, has a very good process for intake. They give them an education. They give them a mentor. They give them schooling. And those boys have to commit to a process. Mm -hmm. Well, my wife and I found out that my wife's boss found out that she has a passion for this. And she said, you know, Nordstrom has a matching fund for nonprofits and charities, and we'll match the gifts of employees too. So I was able to call the CEO of Malele and tell her, hey, you know, the Lux are going to give X, but my wife's employer is going to do 2X. And 2X bought a patch of land in Kenya for them to build their own facility. Wow. So what if the manager just stuck to the pro forma, yeah. stuck to the number, stuck to, hey, your job is to make me look good, okay? And so I'm going to make sure your performance improves until you get to where you need to be so I can be where I need to be so that I can shoot my report at my director's meeting up and show the graph traveling north. Mm-hmm. How foolish. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Well, here's the irony. We want people to be fully engaged. Yes. But that collides with this notion that we're going to maintain superficial relationships. What, it, it makes yeah, no how sense does that at work? All. That doesn't it's work. It's an oxymoron. No, it, it, it can't work. It, it doesn't work. Right. So look at the great resignation. Millions of right. people, month after month after month, millions of people right. are quitting their jobs. They're walking mm-hmm. away and they're saying, no, thanks. I can't do it. And in many cases, they're walking away from economic rewards. They're walking away from all kinds of things that they're supposed to want mm-hmm. and they're supposed to embrace and keep and, mm-hmm. and keep a hold of. And they're saying, no, time out, I'm not doing that anymore. So the great resignation, if ever there were empirical evidence for the fact that people are experiencing burnout. Right. And yeah. disillusionment and disaffection, right. and they're not satisfying their basic human needs in the workplace. I think we have it. We, are, we have an avalanche of data. So here's the follow-up question, Kenny. What do we do to climb out of these two years of trauma and to help each other heal? Now, that's not a word that we often use in the workplace, but perhaps we should to heal. Yeah. There's a lot of healing that needs to take place. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Well, trauma is trauma. Yeah. I don't care if it's a cancer diagnosis or an assault or on the street yeah. or a pandemic. Or a toxic environment on your team. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, a narcissistic boss who has this special power over the team. And so trauma is trauma. And trauma messes with your self-perception. I don't care who you are. You never come back to that dimension of your life the same way. So in a crude, horrible example, if if someone is sexually traumatized, they don't come back to the dimension of sex the same way as they did before. If someone has a healthcare trauma, they don't come back to physical health the same way as they did 
before. Yeah. If someone loses someone in an unplanned way mm-hmm. because of some event, they don't go back to that context the same way because of the trauma. So we've had two years of trauma. We have. And it stopped our lives. We sheltered in place. We had to submit to things outside of our control. Our human connection went south, which is never good because we're built to connect. And then we've discovered things too. Like the great resignation is is also part of people seeing that, wow, I had my priorities messed up. Mm-hmm. I like my family. Well, so that's the good part, right? It gave us a little time yeah, for reflection. Yeah, there's a good part. Probably more time for reflection than you've ever had before. Oh, <laughs> totally. <laughs> right. Exactly. We got out of the digital barrage, maybe a little bit, mm-hmm. and we got to be with people more, eat meals together, connect, be neighbors, and kind of identify, and this is the bridge to healing, is when you have a shared experience. There's healing in that. So that's why Alcoholics Anonymous is an excellent modality for helping break the cycle of alcoholism in someone's life because there's someone who shares your experience. That's why my dad went to the Veterans of Foreign Wars meeting once a week because they had a shared experience. The world has had a shared experience. People have had a shared experience. But then the odd counterintuitive thing is that we don't talk about it because we're distant with strangers and with coworkers. And but it's really interesting when you risk being interpersonal about it. Yeah. It's like the floodgate open. Well, Kenny, it's it, for a lot of us, if not most of us, there's been forced self-disclosure right. through the pandemic. Right. I'm on a video call with someone and you've got the kids that are screaming in the background. And so there's this forced disclosure of part of your life. <laughs> real and there's life. this Yeah, real life. And there's this <laughs> bleeding of professional and personal life. And yes. We've all been through that over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. And I think there's some permanent changes yeah. that come from that. For sure. I don't think we're going to go back, go back. and have this um, spontaneous return to order, just the way it was. No, I agree. I think people, because they've been through so much, there's value in being interpersonal and talking about what's really going on. I, I mean, you could be in line at the grocery store. And remember, I go to Trader Joe's and I'd have to stand six feet apart from someone. And then I have a mask on, I can't see their face. But now in the state of California, now we're maskless. We're now we're kind of reacquainting ourselves with facial recognition and interpersonal stuff. And I find that when you just ask a simple question that you're thinking inside that applies to everyone and you say it out loud, you discover that there is this reservoir of willingness to engage. Man, these last couple of years have been really brutal on me. That's all you have to say. And then boom, you know, or just like, all right, man, I'm so glad we're together again. Yeah. I'm so glad. I mean, try this next time you go to Trader Joe's. <laughs> right. You know, right. just like, I'm so glad we're in line together right now. And we can stand right next to each other. Uh, hey, I, I can stand right next to you. Just say that. Yeah. yeah. This is great. Yeah. I'm so happy I can stand right next to you and just watch the look on their face. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I know. Isn't it great? This is so great. Well, and because of the accumulated trauma, don't you think people's hearts are more open? Oh. And they're a little more yes. tender? hmm Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot more honesty because we've been through something together, whereas before we were in our little silos. The thing about a pandemic, it doesn't matter if you're in the suburbs or the inner city. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. No. 
or if you're a business person or a pastor. No, it doesn't matter your okay? bundle of it's demographics. War. It's been, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's war. Yeah. And we're all in it. Mm-hmm. And we all somehow, we're kind of coming out of it limping a little bit. And we're just trying to find a crutch in someone's shoulder that will help us walk out of it. Yeah. Hopefully, it's increased the, the general level of empathy. 100%. But we're still struggling, Kenny, aren't we? We're still struggling with civility in the public square. We're mm-hmm. still struggling with our terms of engagement. We're still struggling mm-hmm. with, well, we're all dripping with bias as human beings. All of us, we're dripping. Yeah. Each of us, we are bundles of demographics and psychographics. That's what we are. Mm-hmm. But so now we have this opportunity as we come out of the pandemic to engage in a more effective way, more honestly, more sincerely, more effectively. Do you have any advice for doing that? Yeah, it's about 2,000 years old. Mm-hmm. Be a golden ruler. I don't know any other piece of advice than from the Sermon on the Mount where it says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And that usually involves some cost. So it's not free. Serve your neighbor, serve another person, mm-hmm. get involved in someone else's life, ask the second question. Boy, that saved me from doing the selfish ideological thing so many times, mm-hmm. which doesn't apply. Yeah, My politics don't apply to this. There's certain principles that transcend That's right. And to transcend bias effectively, you have to serve another person without expectation of reciprocity. It's like when Jesus told oppressed Jews in the first century, if they force you to go one mile, go another mile. So the context of that is you've got political oppression. A Roman soldier can tell a Jew, you got to carry my pack for a mile for me. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is saying, you know, we're not going to change that but you can change the way that person thinks. You're going to do something shocking and you're actually going to serve your oppressor. And so the one mile mark gets hit and then you look at him and you go, yeah, probably a him. All right, I'll keep going with you. He's like, wait, 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 what? why would you do that? Because there's something transcendent about serving that shocks people. And it's like, wait, everybody's divided. Nobody can get close. And where you look past, you wade past all of the noise and wade past all of the cultural movements and wade past and you see a human being and you say, you know what, I'm going to serve you. And it doesn't matter if I get anything back. And as you said, Kenny, it supersedes politics, ideology, preferences, background. That means we're going to elevate this as what we're going to be loyal to. And it supersedes all of those things. Why? Because maybe just that we're members of the same human family. So maybe that's our highest loyalty. So maybe we subordinate all other differences and maybe that's not a big deal. If we don't do that, it seems as if we sow the seeds of division and we can't ever really get to a deeply inclusive environment and sustain that. Yeah, there's a word that we're all familiar with, which is describes what we're talking about. It's grace. You get it. And I'm not going to pre-qualify you Mm -hmm. because you're a human being. I would want somebody to do this for me. And, you know, you have to experience that to give it away. We want it. And that's where, depending on what your metaphysics are or your faith context is, you know, mine is amazing grace. When you've experienced grace and acceptance 
and you get things you don't deserve without the demand for reciprocity. Wow. Okay. And then all of a sudden it transforms you and you go, okay, well, I'm supposed to reproduce that experience. So what we're talking about here, that's why grace is amazing. People get what they don't deserve. There's no pre-qualifying. It just comes. It's unmerited favor. And when people experience that, that really rocks whatever ideology really rocks their bias. It's like, wow, somebody just really connected with me in a meaningful way. And they're not asking for anything. And they're not trying. You said something interesting, though. You said you have to experience it. So this is where it becomes difficult because, for example, we fear difference often. Yeah. And and so we stay away and we don't bridge, right? We don't become boundary spanning people. We don't Mm -hmm. venture into that unknown to connect. But what you're saying is it is a journey of self-discovery. You have to experience it. We can talk about it all day, but you have to go do it. And it's in the doing you create confirming evidence that this is right. And this works. So how do you get people to be brave enough to reach out and to act, to help, to serve without thought of reward, without the expectation of reciprocation? How do you get people to take that step? Because that often is the hard part, right? That's where we get stuck. Maybe that's where we get high centered. Yeah. And then we maintain our differences. And then sometimes over time, that turns into resentment. And yet all we really need to do is get to know each other and serve each other. Mm -hmm. And it's miraculous. Yeah, it really breaks open. Yeah, And there's usually a fear there of loss, real or perceived, that if I take the risk to connect with you, you're going to work me. Yeah. Or you're going to injure me. Or I'm going to lose power. There's a loss. Fear usually is related to loss. I'm going to lose something if I take a risk. And that's where we become paralyzed. It's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's too vulnerable. I can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. Nailed it. But yet you got to cross the threshold. You do. And that's where, you know, you move against it in faith. And here now, oh gosh, here we go again. Grace, faith. And all faith is, is committing without knowing. So we put our faith in a lot of things, Tim. Most of us have a prescription in our medicine cabinet and we take it the pill in faith. We're not the bioengineer who made it. We trust that our doctor went to medical school and it properly diagnosed us and said, here's something that you can take. And we take it in faith. We get on airplanes every day. Get in our cars. <laughs> and we, we trust yeah. physics, right? right? We get in our car, turn it over, and we trust that the other ding dong is right. not going to be texting while he's driving. Okay. And, and we're going to get to point eight because we're persuaded that it's the right thing. We're persuaded, but we can't know before the fact that, that pill is going to work or the plane's going to land or I'm going to drive home from work safely. We do it in faith. Now with a hundred percent certainty. No, we cannot. So we take a step of faith based on us being persuaded that this is right. Yeah. This is, uh, we're confident that if we take this step, and that's really what you and I are doing right now, we're just activating confidence. We can't tell the audience, hey, you know what? If you reach out to a human being and risk personal interaction and an honest observation or question, that you're going to get a really great response and experience the miracle of inclusion and connection. Doesn't happen every time. No, it doesn't happen every time. But we are saying to you that human beings are built and created to give and receive love, to be known, 
and you can work with that. You can also assume this, nine out of 10 people that you run into have a problem in their life that they would love to have resolved and are living under that pressure. So they have issues that it would be great to connect with somebody, another human being, another person who has stuff in their life. And that's the context for a miraculous connection. Let's talk about that. So 90% of the people that you meet, yes, they are wrestling with some big challenge. Could Something. be a, could be crisis yep. level. 100%. So you, yeah. you, you know that going in. That's the operating assumption. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the premise. That's the premise. And so if you're guided by that premise, it helps you gather the empathy, mm -hmm. the compassion that you need to go into that interaction. Yeah. That's right, because we're all traveling the same road. We're living in an imperfect world with imperfect people and imperfect businesses and imperfect leadership, and there's good and bad in everybody. And uh, we're all just kind of wrestling with that. And when you know that, it gives you confidence to, to connect. You can risk a personal question or just, hey, how you doing with all this? How are you? Man, I, I really had a, had a go of this pandemic. How, how's your family doing? And in doing that, you're modeling. Yeah. And you're sending signals and your influence is reverberating, regardless of the social context that you're in. It could be at home, could be at school, could be at work. And so you are, from that standpoint, you're building culture, are you not? Oh, 100%. I could stay synthetic and technical and professional. No problem. I can do that because that maintains my image. Yeah. But the substance of who I am is a real person with real problems, trying to make real relationships work and trying to be a good person in the process, and I need help. And if we understand that aspect of it, that 5% of life is unbelievable, phenomenal, fantastic. Other 5% down at the bottom is depressing, sad, and despairing. 90% of life is peanut butter and jelly, man. And that's where the real action is. It's not in the successes and Instagram posts of my coffee with a latte, and it has a picture of a leaf inside of it. And it's not in, it's all bad and we're all doomed. Well, and you could come away from that experience feeling really quite empty, right? Yeah. Connect and yet feel disconnected. And I want to come back to a word you said. You said synthetic, which brings up a distinction in my mind, Kenny, between people are, and it's fueling the great resignation. Yeah. People want authentic experiences yeah. and they want That's to right. be their authentic selves. And so the yeah. distinction is between authentic and synthetic. And Yes. What do you have to say about that? Well, I mean, synthetic is not real. It's a copy of what we want, but it's not quite the real thing. You know, it's a knockoff yeah. of real humanity. Genuine Nagahide. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's the Louis Vuitton purse that you bought at the swap meet that the buckle breaks once yeah. you pick it up for the fifth time. Yeah. It just isn't performing. But here's the thing. Synthetic is safe. It's safe, but it's not fulfilling. It's not satisfying. The Thank rewards you. aren't there. You can't. It, I knew you would act correct. Is it not? It's counterfeit. It's fraudulent. It, yes, exactly. So authentic is the real thing. But to be authentic, you have to overcome your fear of being known. People are like icebergs, Tim. We typically only see the tip. We see their image. We see their public persona. We, we don't usually see their private self to lower the waterline, to see the substance of a person, right? To be authentic, to see the substance of who you really are. You have to overcome your fear of being known and you have to give up your image. 
if you've spent a long time building one. That's a pretty vulnerable activity. Exactly. And then guess what? Everybody knows you're not your image. They know you're, but the longer you present yeah. that, yeah. the less credible you are. Well, and I think when you finally do, everybody breathes a sigh of relief and they say, yeah. it's so refreshing. Thank yes. you for finally acknowledging what we already know. Exactly. That, that you're a mere mortal with us. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for going on this journey with yeah. us. You're a fellow traveler. We're exactly. all pilgrims. Thank you. Yes. So refreshing. Mm -hmm. There's a thirst and a hunger for this coming out of the pandemic. Yes. Huge. This is what I see. And there's a context to experience it, which was easier than before. So when you've been at war, it's easier together. It's not just you went through it yeah. and I can't connect with that, but we all went through. We're it. all battle fatigued. Yeah. We're all battle fatigued. We're all a little worn out. We yeah. all had our issues during there. And I mean, there was such upheaval during the last two years. So we were all kind of, we're all limping. And man, limping people need each other. Yeah. Well, but then there are those that are pretending that they're not limping. Yeah. So we're all limping, but some of us are pretending that we're not limping. But that now includes all of us. That's right. Is that not true? Yeah, that's right. Which a reasonably intelligent person would just say, yeah, they're just not in reality like the rest of us are, but there's still a risk that we have to take. And that is that we can enter in actually more safely and more securely into a personal interaction because people are, their defenses are kind of low. When you're low, yeah. you're vulnerable. But you're open. But you're open. And when you're vulnerable and authentic, guess what that produces for you? Credibility. It gives you credibility. Ah, this person is the real deal. Yeah. This person is being honest. This person has, at least they're in truth and reality. And then you're much more able and likely to trust them. Yes. Because we can predict your behavior. We have predictive yes. understanding of you as a human being. Yeah, it's subjective, but it's solid. It's solid. It's solid. It's subjective. It's when people, they when they interact with you, there is the power of the vibe, right? It's how they feel after they, do they feel like they bumped into synthetic or do they feel like they bumped into authentic? And if they feel like they bumped into authentic, I mean, this is where big deals are done. Well, Kenny, to build on that point, I think you're so right. I've always felt that human beings have an innate ability to smell intent. Yes. We can smell intent from each other. Mm -hmm. And so if you bring me synthetic, you don't pass the smell test. Smell test. I'm yes. on to you. You can snow me for a while, maybe, mm -hmm. but in the long term, you can't. Right. You can't do that in the long term. So I'll be on to you. Mm -hmm. And I think this is important because if we can smell intent and we really want an authentic experience, relationship, we need to think deeply about this. We yeah. need to conduct maybe a searching fearless personal inventory at this point mm -hmm. as we're coming out of the out of the pandemic some yeah. some real deep reflection and ask ourselves at a personal level how do i want to go forward with my life yeah thank god for reset moments that were unplanned sometimes they interrupt our course maybe imposed yeah it's imposed it's circumstantially yeah. or you wouldn't have planned this you wouldn't have written this into your 5 year life plan but now it's incumbent that you take a look at in the mirror and take a look at your values and take a look at what you want, who you want to be, 
And um, now then build disciplines and lifestyle around the kind of life that you want, which is authentic. I think we all want to be authentic. I think synthetic is fear-based and we got to, in faith, come against that fear, convinced and persuaded that this is there's a right direction. We're not going to know before we take an action, mm-hmm. but we can take a step toward what's real, human, inclusive, authentic, and we're just going to head that way. And the expression will look different for all of us. It might be you in line at Trader Joe's or the grocery store just going, man, I'm so glad I can stand next to you. You know, Kenny, one of the things that comes to mind is that this experience also gives us the opportunity to shed the bias and the Mm -hmm. prejudice that we may still have through acquired socialization, however we got it. But it gives us this beautiful opportunity to let go of that and get rid of the soothing stories that we tell ourselves about Uh, superiority and this nonsense that we use to create to polarize, to create divisions, to create barriers. And this is one of the beautiful things that kind of the opportunity coming out of the calamity that I see is that people are pushing reset and they are bringing even unconscious bias. They're bringing it up to a conscious level and saying, hang on a second. Yeah. Look at some of the bias and prejudice that I've been harboring. Yep. What is this nonsense? Yeah, it's nonsense. So the the crisis has been kind of an equalizing influence that helps yes. us see things more clearly yes. and see ourselves more clearly. Do you see that? I see it. I think you nailed it. It's a great equalizer. It's where the ground is level. And again, it's the power of a shared experience. In war, the person who has my back when bullets are flying over my head is the person who has my back and we're in it together. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where you came from or what biases you grew up with. We're going to work together. Yeah to stay alive and win. So that's kind of the dynamic that you see. We've really been through it. We've been through it together. We have an, a great opportunity to shed, as you say, the nonsense and the ways of thinking and self-perception that don't work and actually take some time, listen to Culture by Design. There you go. And be activated <laughs> to think about being new. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Maybe in conclusion, Kenny, maybe you could tell us a little bit about some effort in your ministry over the last 20 years where you are really seeing traction. You're really seeing success. You're really seeing people transformed. Any example come to mind that you could share with us? Yeah. One's coming in right now, just as you were talking, really seeing traction, really Mm -hmm. seeing success. You know, when I started Everyman, the goal was to help people win at their most important relationships, marriage, families. No one wants to, you know, if you're not doing relationships right, you're not doing life right. That's it. I think we all understand that. And so at the end of your life, and I'm a pastor, I do a lot of funerals. People don't get together and talk about where they went on vacation, what kind of car they drew, what their portfolio looked like. People get up and talk about how that person really connected with them. That's it. And that's our legacy. That's it. It's how we related to one another here. So whether that's as a neighbor, a wife, or a husband, or a dad, or a brother, sister, or child, we have a resource called Get Healthy, and it addresses the issues of family, intimacy, and friendship. And what happens in those eight-week modules is that men come together, and they actually begin to be vulnerable, transparent, 
honest. And then once they are, they take the risk. They're doing what we're talking about right now to be authentic about where they're really living, about what's really going on. They discover they're not alone. And there's wisdom in the community for them to make it through. And just not being alone is a huge quantum leap toward health. And then there's actually wisdom in the group. There's a shared experience. There's experience. And it's not fatal or final. You're going to be okay. But before they come into that module or the Get Healthy ecosystem, they really, they're like, well, this is my last straw. You know, this, this doesn't work. And I don't know if it's going to work. The marriage, the family, the, that's where I just see how, and I know there's listeners out there. They might feel like my marriage or my family or this relationship, it's, and it's fatal. It's final. No, it's not. No, it's not. There's communities of people who can help you. And the sooner you get into one, the better. And you'll transform because you're not going to be alone. And there's collective wisdom out there for you. And we want, they want you to win. That's encouraging. And so it is. that's been by far and away over the last 20 years, helping people do relationships right so they can do life right. And getting into a smaller cohort type environment where people are honest and people then also chart a path and use their collective experience and wisdom and wisdom from God to help each other out of it. Kenny, you get the last word here. So what advice or counsel would you like to leave with listeners? And by the way, we do have a global listening audience. So last words. Yeah, I would say that as human beings, we live in a world that is filled with good and bad families, good and bad marriages, good and bad people, good and bad cultural movements that have the capacity to really bring you down. But the equalizer, like Tim and I have been talking about, is that we're all in that together. We're all working together. We're all coming out of this last couple of years, kind of traumatized by a situation that really we couldn't control. And we're more anxious and we're more fragmented and there's a real need on your part, on my part, on Tim's, and really every community that you find yourself in for connection. So my encouragement to the audience and to you, Tim, and myself, is that we just need to model just being interpersonal and risk a human connection. Identify with someone else who has gone through the same thing and do it in a normal way. And I, I just love the grocery line analogy which is, yeah. it's so great to be standing close to you right now and not having to wear a mask. See what happens. <laughs> so that's your assignment, that's everyone. Your assignment. <laughs> I'm going to go do that again. I got to go do that. Yeah. yeah. Look at me in the eyeball happens. and just go, man, it's just great to see a person's face. You can stop there. It's great to see a person's yeah. face and it's good to be, not have to be six feet away from people, man. And you can just have a conversation with yourself and let someone else hear you talk to yourself if you're <laughs> that will elicit a smile. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. Kenny, God bless you for the work that you do in this world. Thank you. In helping people repair relationships and focus on their relationships, yeah. which are preeminent in life. Yeah. I can't thank you enough. And I thank you for your friendship, your personal friendship. And thank you for the time that you've taken to be with us today. So grateful to you. Of course. This is awesome, Tim. God bless.
Thanks for joining me today on the Culture by Design podcast. Be sure to subscribe and listen to new episodes every week. And if you'd like to see more of the work we're doing, go to leaderfactor.com.